Uh, I don't know. I'm going into my microphone and it seems okay. So, all right, let's or, just go uh, then. Yeah, I'll be good. Hoping that the spirit takes us on this one, right? Ah, I see uh, what you did there. That's well, all I'm going to be. That's do, all I'm going to be good for in this discussion. So, these corny puns. I just hope we get away with it. Ah, okay. Uh, see what I did. <laughs> Took there, me yeah. a second. wasn't uh, I wasn't expecting. Well, my pun it. wasn't yeah. as good as your pun. No, yours is just a little more subtle, which is probably a compliment to you. Welcome to The Voyage Podcast, a show that traverses the oceans of myth and legend through the lens of Catholic theology and philosophy. Come aboard as we set sail in pursuit of the heroic life and Christian virtue with your hosts, Mike Schramm and Jacob Platty. <laughs> all right well, well hey, yeah Mike, bring, us in. You, bring us in bring us this in is, this welcome is your, everyone yeah, yeah this is yeah. one of my episodes this episode of the voyage podcast the where voyage uh, podcast. we're going to be talking about spirited away spirited well, away. well just, we'll say well, studio ghibli in general yeah you know spirited away the boy and the heron you're probably going to want to throw some stuff in about jacob i haven't seen that well, one yet so here's the thing so here's the impetus behind this week's episode is that uh, Studio Ghibli, he is, Hayao Miyazaki has put out his latest and greatest um, kind of magnum opus, The Boy and the Heron. And, uh, you know, so that's like, let's do Studio Ghibli. We haven't gotten around to really deep diving into them. And so what do we do? Uh, Mike hasn't seen The Boy and the Heron yet. Um, so, I have, and I, or at least I saw some of it because, frankly, I was trying to corral one of my little kids the whole time. So mm-hmm. I'm a little, I'm going to go rewatch it, basically. Not um, a, not as attentive as you'd like, but. If you if you go and, uh, like, read any reviews for this movie, and I haven't read all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, it's remarkably like, I don't know what this movie was about, um, which is not true. It's just that they all lean heavily into, like, the themes of the movie. It's like it's mm. about confronting death and stuff like that, but they don't seem. I think that this one really befuddled people, the boy and the heron. Um, so maybe I'm wrong. I'm gonna end up reading some more reviews because this and will if, be. Uh, if the title hasn't thrown you, dear listener, or um, Jacob's intro into Studio Ghibli and Boy and the Heron, just want to invite you guys to like and subscribe to the show. Uh, leave a positive rating so that this and all of our other episodes, because we do try to do a range of, you know, pop culture, like whether it's works or, you know, um, different different stories, different kind of concepts that we try to cover. And so if this is one of the ones that resonated with you or any of them, I uh, just want to invite you guys to do that too. Okay, you were going to say so that, Jacob. Yeah. We're going to do, we're going <laughs> to, do we always say that at the beginning? Or are we going to move it to the beginning because no one ever listens till the very end? <laughs> Uh, I mean, we'll, people to like and subscribe up front. We'll put, we, I think I think it's a you know common common practice to put it in yeah. bookend it. So we'll we'll yeah, try no it out. Reason. We'll see what happens. Right? What have we got to lose? That's so. not much. Um, so the uh, um, Spirited Away was a movie that we both have seen, um, and it it made a big splash back in the early two thousands. It won the Best Picture for animation. Um, and frankly, I think there's a ton of parallels between the boy and the heron and spirited away. And so that evolved into an idea of doing a two parter episode where we do a part one that discusses studio Ghibli, um, and the two films kind of very broadly, and then deep dive into spirited away. And then mm-hmm. next week we'll do an episode that deep dives into the boy and the heron. Hopefully by that time, Mike will have had a chance to see it. We'll see. By next week? Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> I guess. I, I just thought, you know, well. Oh, you next, can do it. Next I believe time. in you. Yeah. Next, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we'll do a compare and contrast between the two films because there is a lot of really meaty subject matter. And frankly, I mean, just talking about Spirited Away is going to take up like this entire episode. Like no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, and but, that's, uh, you know, I think like you, you were referring to Boy and the Heron as the magnum opus. And I think a lot of people, you know, especially Spirited Away is what, not the first one, but one of the early ones. Um, but it definitely is considered like a high watermark, um, not just in terms of animated movies, not just in terms of Studio Ghibli movies, but just in terms of, of movies in general uh, is, is widely considered, um, you know, just really strong uh, cinematic 
masterpiece. Oh, yeah. People really liked this movie. Uh, and so, I really enjoyed it myself. So um, it's fitting that our first episode is going to kind of focus on like the original and, you know, or again, not necessarily mm-hmm. original, but like, like I said, the kind of foundational work. So, well, it's kind of remarkable. You know, Spirited Away is 20 years old. I think it's over 20 years old. Yeah. I think 2001 when I was mind. looking, yeah. yeah, when I was um, looking it up and mm-hmm. stuff. So there's 22 years between Spirited Away and The Boy and the Heron. And what is fascinating to me is having, because I did rewatch Spirited Away in anticipation of this episode. You know, for one, the animation style of Studio Ghibli is just timeless. I mean, I've seen quite a few Studio Ghibli stuff at this point. And I mean, even mm. their stuff from the 80s looks like it's from the 80s. But mm. he he crafted an art style or that team there crafted an art style that is just remarkably timeless. And so it doesn't feel like there's a 22 year gap between these mm. movies. Then you compound that with the themes of the two movies and how similar they are. I mean, this is the perfect double feature. Um, if you can deal with like the weirdness for four hours, <laughs> because well, it does, that's yeah, true. It's, it's kind of an acquired taste. And I don't say that it as is. like, I don't say that to undermine it. It's an acquired taste specifically for like, like we'll talk about Western viewers um, that to we really would just have a, to adjust to. It's like, it's like a high schooler the first time he or she reads Shakespeare, right? It doesn't oh, no, make I it, have a better yeah. analogy. Okay. It's like the first time someone from the West eats sushi. And so okay. some people love it. Some people are like, you raw fish. And then some people, they try it a few times and eventually it grows on them. Okay. Right. And I think uh, because it's Japanese and uh, an obvious like analogy, but that's, that's my analogy for Studio sure. Ghibli. Um, and it was way better than yours, Mike. Jacob's so. analogies are an acquired taste as well. So <laughs> it's so it's it's an analogy on an analogy. So it does work uh, on two okay. levels. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't much you much like keep, a Studio Ghibli film? So um, um, you you've seen it more often. You're you're more um, probably familiar with. If you want to kind of run us through just a very quick synopsis of Spirited Away, Spirit Us Away, Jacob, if you wouldn't mind. And you want uh, a quick. A quick synopsis and, of it, and I might and I might interrupt you with various things that we've talked about or or things that that uh, are interesting to note. But um, if you want to, yeah, take us through if you if well, you please. Le- before we get, I do want to spend a little bit of time just talking about Studio Ghibli as such, though, just as a little bit of a foundation, and specifically Miyazaki as a director, because we have, I do, I I think that we need to lay that groundwork in order to make sense of Spirited Away. Um, but then I will gladly take us on a journey, Mike. Mm. Uh, a, a heroic journey ah. uh, into one of our favorite topics, our favorite environments, the underworld mm. um, or the it's, land of it's fairy. Time, yeah. It's timely. Yeah. yeah. It's time for it. Yeah. So, well, I tell you, <laughs> it feels like every episode's about the underworld these days. Right. Mm. Um, but you know, it's just a perennial thing. No pun intended. Um, see our perennial Superman episode, but mm. uh, so studio Ghibli is like the Japanese Disney. Okay. In fact, I'm pretty sure like Disney has some kind of like ownership or some kind of distribution rights or or something. Of course, then again, that wouldn't make sense because you stream Studio Ghibli stuff off of it's HBO Warner Brothers. Max. Yeah, it'd be Warner yeah. Brothers, wouldn't it? Yeah. But if you watch the beginning openings of movies, like mm-hmm. like so for example, Spirited Away, I, I think really was actually distributed by by Disney or something like that back in the early two thousands. I mean I just So maybe ownership just changed hands. Um but they are, I mean, me calling them the Disney of Japan is not unique to me. I didn't make that up. They are, um, frankly, I really enjoy them. I'm someone who, admittedly, it wasn't an acquired taste. I didn't instantly fall in love with Studio Ghibli. Um, mm. The first movie I ever saw was Princess Mononoke because I was one of those like anime kids back in the um, early 2000s. And uh, Princess Mononoke made a big splash. And I watched it. I thought it was very interesting. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. But I also mm-hmm. didn't much care for the animation style. And it took me a while to really embrace the, the animation style. I liked kind of grittier, darker animation, anime stuff. Batman the Animated Series. Oh, no. You yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, the gritty, dark, you know. Okay. Well, anyway. and, and everyone kind of looks like a Gumby character in a Studio Ghibli film. Hmm. They have a very it's it's very <laughs> gelatinous. <laughs> They're, I, very I see, They're very gummy. They're very gummy. If you've seen it, you I know what you're like. Someone yeah. who's seen it knows what you mean by that. So yeah, yeah, it's hard to kind of describe. But um, 
you know, what I really fell in love with is the fact that that kind of gumminess that I'm talking about, it's super expressive. And every there's so much attention to detail in the animation of a Studio Ghibli flick that, you know, and just the way people move, right? Everything mm. almost feels like everyone's just kind of like floating in water or something. I was going to say dreamlike, um, I almost said. So, yeah, yeah the floating. It, um, it, that's a, it's a thing for Studio Ghibli. Mm. Um, and so it took me a while to like appreciate that. But once I did, once I came around on the sushi, uh, it's like, oh, this is like awesome. And unlike anything that you see Western, um, you know, studios putting out there as far as 2D animation styles go. Um, so what Studio Ghibli does is create movies that are profoundly influenced by the Japanese culture. And so when I say they're a Western Disney, I really do mean like we take for granted the tropes that come into play in like classical Disney stuff, right? Mm. Like go back to anything that Disney made in the first like 60 years of his existence or the 90s Renaissance. Um, and you're going to see things that are, you know, they kind of they kind of come out of the Shakespeare mold. They come out of the Grimm's fairy tale mold. They come out of uh, Western European molds. And mm. a lot of the, a lot of the kind of, basic Christian concepts of good and evil and the hero's journey as Joseph Campbell would talk about it and point out it, it it's in the water of these classic Disney movies, right? Mm-hmm. If you watch studio Ghibli, it's like seeing Japanese culture and experiencing like the, the water, right? Uh, or okay. the tea, you know, oh. of, of I think you're the leaf in the water. Yeah. You're the leaf in the <laughs> Well, it's like it's been steeped in Japanese folklore as as opposed to like Western European folklore and things like that. And sure. you can tell. I actually think I you know, there's a certain level of like uh esotericism associated with uh Studio Ghibli movies in the sense that like a lot oftentimes there there's just like a strangeness to them and the story beats have a kind of like surrealness to them. And mm-hmm. oftentimes I get the impression when I'm reading other people's interpretations of these movies, a, a lot of them seem to be like, and then this happens and then that happens. And I don't really know why that happens, but you know that, and, but I love the feels, I love the vibes. I love the emotion. Right. So they, they're able to focus on these human universals, but the actual yeah. logic of these tales doesn't sink in for a lot of Western viewers. So far as I can tell. And it's mm-hmm. because you really are, watching films that that are flavored by Japanese tradition, Japanese worldview, Japanese folklore and religion. Even though Miyazaki himself, he's not interested in any type of like institutional religion. I think he's pretty much just a nature hippie, frankly. Mm. But he loves Japan. I think Jap- the Japanese people really embrace their homeland i think i, I don't well, really know how it is that, nowadays you know but like, because one of the themes that we're going to touch on a little bit more and i think is common in a lot of these is like old world versus new world when it comes to like pre-modern versus uh, modern or postmodern, and tying up like see even making the distinction between like a religious person and like a patriotic person that would not have been made basically pre what enlightenment like that would not have been made for anybody western or eastern and the eastern like sort of has retained that a little bit um, more strongly. And so, like you said, it's not so much a, you know, the way that we think of like a devout Christian or a devout this or devout that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, like you said, loving Japanese culture, loving your culture, loving, like that would have been um, hand in hand. Well, with it. in the same way, dude, in the same way that Walt Disney wasn't, uh, you know, I don't think he's known for being particularly religious or anything like that, but mm-hmm. he was very much a World War II era American, <laughs> you know, yeah. someone who grew up in the pre lead up during and after World War II. And like, so he is a part of this kind of like golden age of American patriotism and American, um, which would have been know, hand in hand with this sort of modern kind of post Protestant Christianity. Which many, yes. that's why they've rejected Christianity is partially because it's been so tied up with Americanism or, you know, nationalism. Um, well, back, like you said, post-World War II, that would have been the positive. That would have been like a plus to see those two as yeah. together. So, so if you watch Pinocchio, idea. if you're looking at Snow White, Pinocchio, Cinderella, um, Beauty, Sleeping Beauty, I like these are fairy tales that, that are very steeped in Christianity. 
um, Christian morals, Western morals at any rate. Mm. Um, whereas serial Ghibli films, they're steeped in things like Shinto. They're steeped in things like, uh, you know, like close agrarian nature type stuff. And they're steeped in kind of like basically Eastern, more or less Buddhist Taoist type concepts. Family and honor as well. Yeah. So family, family's huge, huge, huge. Um, And frankly, a lot of it's actually like a response to World War II um, destruction. Right. Mm. So a lot of it, he really is like a a post-World War II hippie. Miyazaki is and um, but nevertheless he still has a lot of love for uh, Japan and for the you know the culture and his father helped make planes for World War II so he loves you know a lot of things that you'll see in a Studio Ghibli film are all about flying frankly mm. there's always something flying <laughs> he loves flight he loves aviation it's because he grew up with a father who made planes for World War II to fight during World War II and so um, that shows up in The Boy and the Heron, which a lot of commentators have already pointed out is very autobiographical. But then I think a lot of people would agree that most of these films are really personal uh, mm-hmm. and quasi-autobiographical. But uh, so we're going to get into how things like Buddhism and Shinto and Japanese culture have had such a profound influence on Spirited Away. And I think it's going to make sense of this movie and then next week when we talk about The Boy and the Heron, I think it's also going to make sense of that movie. And, uh, you know, people, I think they like to like look at these films and say, oh, it's like Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. which I get it because a Western audience is going to go watch something like Spirited Away How we make and be sense like, oh, it. yeah, it's like Alice in Wonderland. And mm-hmm. there are, there's remarkable, yeah, I get that. Like you could totally say that. That's not even wrong. But it's also, um, it's very much trying to put it into a Western box if you try to put it into an Alice in Wonderland category. Um, Whereas it's far more of a good old-fashioned, if you really want to put it into a Western box, what you're really talking about is a fairy story. And what you're really talking about is a journey to the underworld story. And of course, fairy and underworld are basically just two sides of the same coin. Which, to be Uh, fair, Alice in Wonderland, you could say, is you can uh, journey to the underworld. She she goes into a hole. (laughs) Well, and but also, and it's a um, you know, and it's a very much just like Spirited Away. It's a coming of age, kind of growing up. Like it's a maturation that Alice has to kind of go through with just like, and I'm I can't remember the first name of the main the main girl. Is it Shen? Is that what she's? Oh, the in uh, Spirited Away. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's Chihiro, and then her name becomes Sen. Sen, Sen sorry. Okay, yeah. so, so I mean, that's, right. that's that's also. I mean, it 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 could just be seen as superficial, but it's you know, there's there's some of there's some substance there too. No, for sure. You know, when you uh, specifically, this is the last thing I'll say comparing Boy and Heron to Spirited Away, and then we'll really dig into Spirited Away, is that there's some real basic constructs that are set up out the gate. And so I actually put these into a little table so I could reference it because mm-hmm. uh, what you have in the protagonist of uh, Spirited Away is Chihiro. Uh, and it's about a girl who is having to move. It takes place in the 80s or 90s. I guess mm-hmm. the 90s. I mean, I think it's actually contemporary. So it's probably early 2000s because I do. they reference the 90s. But it's a modern Japanese era. Mm-hmm. Whereas the protagonist, Mahito and Boy and Heron, that's World War II era, right? Um, but in the modern Japanese era, it's all about economic forces causing pain for Japan. And uh, Chihiro and their family, it's implied that they're moving. And she doesn't, she's a 10 year old girl and she's moving away from all of her friends and from the home she loves and having to deal with that. So it's a story of loss and it's a story of her having to grow up and mature and come of age and stand on her own two feet in the face of like no longer having the safety. Uh, of home and hearth as a child, right? Mm. And Mahito, his takes place contemporary with World War II, so that's all about Japan being bombed. He loses his mother um, right out the gate in that movie uh, to fire, to the fire bombings of Tokyo and things like that. So they're both about stories about children who have lost their home um, and having to, and you know, even Shihiro loses her parents right away too. And then having to grow up and deal with that loss, right? Um, they both immediately experience psychopomps, 
you know, the fun word for people who carry people into the underworlds. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, uh, you have Haku, who is a river spirit slash dragon um, in Spirited Away, and you have the heron um, in The Boy and the Heron. And then they both are taken into a foreign landscape, one being fairy in Spirited Away, the other one being basically eternity in The Boy and the Heron. But these are two sides of the same coin, like I said earlier. Well, and I was going to say, going from time to eternity, that's kind of a death sort of movement, right? Because that's it is, what happens yeah. when the soul leaves the body is we go from time to eternity. So you could, and then just like fairy, you've mentioned the underworld, right? Obviously that's place of the dead sort of language or, or um, imagery. So you have this sort of death, um, life to death, or experiencing a type of death, I should say, in both of them too. Well, and, you know, I think that in both cases, fairy the the place of the supernatural the place that's beyond you know um the the realm of the senses that we currently inhabit and things like that the reason why fairy and eternity are basically the same place is, is it has to do with kind of what the story is emphasizing because in fairy it's usually handled in such a fashion that it it um none of the rules of this reality apply there but it's still um it doesn't really play with uh the kind of like grand eternal elements that an eternity focused story would, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if you're explicitly talking about visiting the afterlife, um, you know, something like uh, Orpheus or, you know, anything like Car- that, like they carries a little more weight. It kind of has a little yeah, more it's, gravity it's to got it. Got a different Whereas vibe to it. Fairy yeah. definitely has that lighter kind of more of a know, whimsical, yeah, you know, type thing. Well, yeah, but go back both, to Alice in Wonderland. No, like it's it's hard yeah. to imagine Alice in Wonderland being an underworld story unless you see the relationship between fairy world, which Wonderland, oh, yeah. and then underworld. So that's where again. So these really are just like the two. They're they're the same place. They're the same location. Mm. It's just like one has an emphasis on kind of the transcendence, and I, maybe fairy has more of an emphasis on the imminent, right? More of like a funhouse version of our reality or something like that. Mm. Well, but they're you, both we'll talk about hyper hyper reality too in a second, but um, yeah, kind of exactly. goes with the Disney thing you were talking about. It does. It does. Mm. Yeah, they're going to see a lot of those themes here. So, all right, enough. Let's get into Spirited Away. See, even um, when I don't write the outline, I still read it, Jacob. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that works for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's called professionalism. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I guess I just need some growing up to do, Mike. So, um, yeah. Maybe you need to be but... spirited away. So they go, they, they are on the road. Um, and yeah, she, she's kind of sullen um, about this, this move and this transition, which again, okay, hint, hint. And uh, they get lost in the woods, which, you know, which is random just, because they're in a suburb. They're like in a suburban area. And all of a sudden the dad's like, oh, weird. Here's a shortcut. <laughs> Never oh, take a shortcut, right? Yeah, These stories like, always take a shortcut. Yeah. Through the woods. Here's okay, a little, shortcut. Okay, little Red woods. Riding Hood. Yep. Yeah. Up to our new house that we can see in that neighborhood over there. Um, also got some real like Dante stuff going. They, they find themselves in the middle of the woods, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, and even then, you know, the whole, like the signs, it lays it on really thick because there's like little spirit houses, Japanese, like totems, like little homes for the spirits to live in some like Japanese folklore stuff. There's, uh, kami shrines everywhere. And so briefly a kami is basically just a spirit in Japan. And it is everything that we think of. One thing that everyone should understand about Japanese culture is it's like super pagan culture. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily talking about 21st century Japan, but Japan was extremely isolated. Animism. From, I mean, oh, it is. Yeah. No, animism, this is. Yeah. Well, I just want to say they are a time capsule, like up until like the mid 20th century. Right. But like that's super recent. That's less than 100 years ago. OK. Yeah. And so what what we should understand is like we're not, like medieval Japan was not 500 years ago, was not a thousand years ago. Medieval Japan was about 150 years ago. And so the type Tom Cruise of and the last saturation, Samurai. Tom the last, last Samurai, Samurai. exactly. Yeah. Yes. Check the that out. The bingo of saturation, card. Um, that is still super present in Japan is the, it, it's, it's good old fashioned paganism, like real true blue, not kind of like, weird wicked like stuff not, that's being not made post Christian paganism, pre Christian. Yeah, no, this like is a pre Christian paganism influenced by Buddhism. But it's all about uh, everything has a spirit. Uh, you barter with the gods by giving them food. You ancestor worship. Um, family and tribe is everything. 
Uh, and it's it's these types of statements can be made about the Romans. These types of statements can be made about the Greeks, uh, like because paganism was genuinely universal. Um, mm. And the similarities between the way an ancient Japanese person would have lived and the way an ancient Roman person would have lived are far more alike to each other than they are to us, for mm. example. And so Spirited Away is an extremely pagan movie. And again, I don't mean hot topic pagans. I don't mean <laughs> like New Age Wiccans. I am talking about the real thing. And frankly, as a classical Christian, I would say that classical Christianity has more in common, has more of a geography with, uh, you know, classical paganism mm -hmm. than it does. It's if anything, Christianity is just the inversion of classical paganism. Whereas a lot of like new age stuff nowadays is just kind of like piecemealing stuff together post Christianity. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, so that's why you can watch something like spirited away, which is this like thoroughly like, steeped in paganism movie and still feel a lot of like uh it well it christianity should, it should go yeah. back to the common topic we bring up all the time which is that seeds of the word right saint justin martyr talks about or irenaeus talks about the seeds of the word and um like you said like we can still find it in a sort of post-christian like modern like art um culture or artwork uh when we look for things like oh look um look at this christ figure in the marvel cinematic universe or whatever but it was very evident and that's obviously what in large part converted, you know, the, 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 um, the pagans. The, the, <laughs> yeah. It converted the, the world, right. It converted the world. Yeah. Um, because it was even not, I'm not gonna say like more obvious, but I don't know if you'd say like it lended itself more to the fulfillment of Christianity than it might seem like it does. I mean, I would still argue that even in like quote unquote post-Christian uh, culture, the seeds are still there and it's just a matter of, you know, Christians recognizing them yep. in the way that we can recognize them, just like St. Justin Martyr recognized them in the way that he could. Um, and so it's just, it's a different, it's not like a, you know, I guess, well, worse sort of thing, but. And I anyway. gotta say, I think one of the things that I think one of the reasons why people really fall in love with studio Ghibli is because it is like a really pagan studio, classical mm -hmm. pagan studio. And I yeah. think that we're like a pro pagan society now. Uh, yeah. One of these days, one of these days, we should just do an episode that's just like titled "We're Pagan Now," <laughs> like our culture <laughs> is pagan now, um, and here's why: because it's crazy how how post Christian we are and how pro pagan we are now. And Studio Ghibli, frankly, fits that mold really well, right? So a lot of the themes that we actually find inspiring as body modern audiences, they're actually coming out of this pagan tradition, right? Christians mm. took those good things and the natural uh, virtues, the natural them, virtues of you know? yeah, uh, justice, temperance, prudence, and fortitude. I mean, those are yeah. present in our human nature. That's why they're called natural virtues. And it's meant to be, you know, that's the grace is supposed to build upon it. That's where the theological of faith, um, hope, and charity are supposed to build upon. Well, and let me give a clear example of what I mean when I say that, like, modern people love Studio Ghibli because it's a pagan thing as opposed to a Christian thing. Um, Christianity, as opposed to paganism, actually has concepts like good and evil. Okay, now you're like, what are you talking about? Paganism had good and evil. It's like, eh, not the same thing, man. Not the same thing. Christianity mm. introduces this idea, uh, you know, the revealed truth of God, all the way back to Genesis and uh, Judaism into Christian Israel into Christianity, is that like, no, there is good, real good, not just power. And not just effectiveness or utility, um, but there's actual good, there's actual holiness, and there's actual evil that wars against it kind of thing. Whereas pagan society more or less just has, kind of has like effectiveness or, mm. or like usefulness or health, right? Again, things that Christians would call good, we would call them good things, but they, they're more of a basically utilitarian like this is good because it helps me eat food. This is good because it helps me not die. Um, it's not about a transcendent, like truth, beauty, and goodness thing that we're beholden to, that we were created for. Because in paganism, like the world wasn't created for anything the way it is for Christians. It's it's just something that exists, and we just kind of like muddle through it. We just do the best we can. And if we can coerce the spirits around us to help us live happy lives, 
then bully for us, right? Mm-hmm. And if we can achieve power in order to crush our enemies, then bully for us. Like that's paganism, right? Um, so it's it's a it's total relativism. Paganism was a relativistic world, right? A pluralistic world, you know. Um, and Japanese paganism is no different. Like the good that we have in life, what what is good in that kind of like pagan worldview is like happiness and peace and all that good stuff. But it's not like it's not the same kind of moral good that worshiping and serving the God who created you is. Mm. Um, and so it just flavors everything, frankly. So Spirited Away doesn't really have evil characters in it. There is no like truly satanic figure in Spirited mm. Away, right? Unlike, um, you know, Beauty or Sleeping Beauty has uh, Maleficent, right? Mm. You know, just like a pure Satan figure. You know, and the dragon in Sleeping Beauty is a devil character, and the dragon in uh, Spirited Away is an angelic, you know, guardian angel figure, right? Because mm. their worldview is is not Christian. It's like there's no such like spirits are chaotic, <laughs> like D and D things. It's, you know, it's amoral. You, it's like a bunch of yeah. Tricksters. They're, it's yeah, their I mean, nature. They're, they're nature creatures, right? They're yeah. as a they're like they're, they're beneficial sometimes. Sometimes they hurt you, and you live with them all the time because it's mm-hmm. it's just nature figures. They're nature spirits, um, and so chaotic good, chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, but there is no lawful good or lawful evil. There's mm-hmm. just like what it is. You know, that's paganism in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's Spirited Away's presupposition, right? The world that we're walking into. So to get back into the story, um, they uh, take this shortcut into the woods. They end up at a tunnel that takes them out. And then when they get to the other side of the tunnel, it's like green grasses. It reminds me of like Gandalf in Lord of the Rings being like, you know, describing to uh, uh, Pippin, like what the afterlife is like. It's like rolling hills and sun on your face <laughs> um, and it's like that's what they walk into it's like what happened to all mm. the suburbia <laughs> they went but, through a yeah they went through a yeah, dark they, tunnel and the light at the yeah. other end was yep so, and it's uh and, so they all died in the movie ends right is that the, yeah uh, that's yeah. right they go uh and the father and the mother represent crass commercial like basically like the western capitalism like the yuppie, like the yuppie yeah the yuppie s- um, like robbing japan of its it's vitality getting a new job right so like he's got this like you know corporate ladder kind of like that's Mm -hmm. what prompts this move that prompts the angst in the the young girl too yep and they're super consumerist and like and they're unthinking like they're they go they make all these really really weird decisions like let's take a shortcut that doesn't make sense let's rate like they're they're buffoons let's start eating this food that was just sitting here they come to attendance well, they come to they come to this structure that is a t- that the tunnel is that we're talking about, and the first thing the father says is, "Oh, this isn't like real. This is fake," and it's implied that it's like a Disneyland type attraction, like the kind of plaster like construction that's made to look like an old building, but it's actually just like a plastic it's a, thing a that facade. was created. A facade. It's a facade. I mean, it's, exactly. That's, yeah. It's a metaphorical and a real yeah. facade. Yeah. Um, I think it's fascinating that Spirited Away uses Disneyland or this idea of theme parks mm-hmm. as its uh, underworld entrance, right? And that's going to come into play as to like what the underworld actually is in, in Spirited Away now. But uh, when they first come up to it, they experience a, a fantasy world, a fantasy lands that's like a Disneyland type apparatus. Um, which famously Japan has that Disneyland thing. We uh, once upon a time talked about Disneyland being hyper reality, the semiotic from the, the mid 20th century, this idea of symbolism and like mm. the academic study of symbolism. And they coined this idea of hyper reality, which is uh, basically something that's more real than real. But the example that was given was Main Street USA in Disneyland, where you you create a world that's totally fabricated, but it's it's uh it's meet the you know leave it leave it to Beaver. It's, yeah, it's taking it's, Andy it's taking Griffin. the it's, the real ideas that are kind of subconscious to America and 
making them visible. It's making like it, shoving yeah, it in your face. It, yeah. Turning it making into it, a product. You could say sacra you... it's it's giving it a body, you could say, right? They're they're uh, sacramentalizing it in a sort of distorted way. I, well, I mean in a distorted, distorted way, way, you know. Yeah. One of the examples that we gave back in the uh, other episode was like Stranger Things and nostalgia mm. as such mm. is a kind of hyper reality. Um, and then yeah. social media and like Instagram fake, all that stuff is a kind of hyper. Like I think that are, was our Matrix episode, our Matrix episode, right? The Matrix episode, yeah. Uh, so you are you're fabricating what you think reality should be, or what mm. you want reality to be, right? Yeah. And everything that you use to fabricate that reality is basically symbolic language. So if you're constructing a fantasy world that's like all pleasure land and things like that. Um, you know, what you choose to depict that is says something about your symbolic language and your values as a culture and things like that. And so that's where this concept of hyperreality came in. And I think that Miyazaki is introducing that. He's like, Japan is being destroyed by these basically non-native Western influences and mm. economic impulses. You know, this is still 10 to 15 years after like the 80s right mm. and japan was huge in the 80s you know like so this is it's about the economy changing it's about an economy of scale taking over the agrarian soul of japan all the way going back to world war ii when japan lost world war ii and the west came in and basically set up shop right and to this day we have okinawa as a japanese outpost out there and, you know, there's a lot of people in Japan who feel like the West utterly destroyed Japan, right? And I'm not going to lie, they're not wrong. Not just like, physically, not but like spiritually. Yeah, it's, they, yeah. it's, it's a different place. Mm. And, you know, I might be able to applaud that if I felt like we went in there and like replaced the Shintoism with like Christianity, but we did not. We replaced Shintoism with commercialism mm -hmm. and capitalism. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know what to I mean? go back to the two parents, <clears throat> after they are, have gorged themselves, what do they turn into? They are consumers, right? They're nothing but it's, consumers. And so it's consumerism. Yeah, it's that's yep. the sort of metaphor for consumerism, <clears throat> right? That's the real culture that has been imposed on, um, you know, like a, a, mm -hmm. this world that, that he's sort of trying to illustrate. Yes, yes. Spirited Away is a major theme of it is just a commentary on how consumerism has destroyed Japan. And the <clears throat> it's interesting, if this is like an underworld reality, it's implied that the humans come, are turned into pigs, and then eaten by the spirits, by the kami. <laughs> so the implication is, is that like there's a cycle of life thing happening where death, like the, the eating of humans, right? Like the, they get eaten by death, by the spirits, by the spirit world kind of thing. You kind of got, um, like like got like a screw tape. Kind of got like a screw tape yeah. letters uh, scene. The, the screw tape proposes a toast where they're eating the souls of the, uh, of the demons. Yes. Exactly. And Eating the souls so, of the dams. And and what is it? These people have sold themselves to this, you know, and again, not that they would use the like conventional Christian terms of devil, but they've sold themselves to this evil, right? This thing mm -hmm. that has betrayed its culture. And so then what happens to them? They become the consumed, right? The consumer. Well, and that should invoke things like the Pleasure Island thing from Pinocchio, where mm -hmm. like you go and give yourself over to your passions and you turn into donkeys. Yeah. Uh, in Studio Ghibli, you turn into pigs, right? Mm. Um, and uh, you know, Western pigs. <laughs> so, um, well, and, and so like, and the the difference too is like, so with the turning into donkeys, you know, obviously there's the connection of like, what are they acting like, right? They're acting like a bunch of asses, but yeah. they are um, beasts of burden, right? So it's like they they have because they've been enslaved to their passions they become these slave animals right the donkeys whereas, to industry right whereas Industrial what, revolution what stuff. happens to the pigs Burn. i mean the only thing pigs are good for they're not good for labor they're only good for food and so mm. like the cons the consumerism makes you good for nothing but being consumed eventually right you just become the same food that you've been consuming you just become the next meal well so, and what's cool about this movie is that it's going to introduce other ways of eating and there's going to be elements of eating that are redemptive. Spiritual and so redemptive Christian, eating? Yeah. What a concept. Yeah, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and honestly, again, that shouldn't even surprise us that a pagan movie would have that because eating with the gods was always a thing. Yeah, that's, you know what that's I mean? human. So yeah. That's just human. So, But yes, it becomes a real important element to this movie is this kind of redemptive spiritual eating that takes place. But uh, it's contrasted with the gluttony 
of the bathhouse. So where uh, Chihiro ends up. We're is... like in the first 20 minutes of the movie still. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start speeding this up. We're running out of time. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> she she wanders away from her parents because her parents end up turning into pigs. Uh, she doesn't realize that yet, though. She They're sitting there shoving their faces, and she's super weirded out. Don't eat the fairy food, folks. If you ever know anything about fairy stories, don't mm. eat their food. Um, but uh, so she wanders off. And by the time she returns, she can't find her parents. And suddenly, like, the sun sets. So it becomes night. This is more death stuff. And uh, and now she's in the spirit world. And all of a sudden, all these shadows. Again, paganism, right? So all the humans mm. are shades. It's just shadow people everywhere yeah. kind of thing. And uh, she finds her way to the bathhouse, which uh, is where all the kami, all the angelic, demonic, godlike nature spirits, right? So when I say kami, just bear that in mind. We're gonna folks. we're gonna get put into like the 1950s. Like <laughs> we're gonna get put into <laughs> that's gonna be the algorithm. It's gonna mishear it and think of like, oh, we got a couple of uh, you know McCarthyism. <laughs> got a couple of McCarthy guys on the show. <laughs> this is K A M I. <laughs> Thank you. Very good. Yes. All right. Um. When you think for for uh, the Japanese, kami is everything we think of when we think spirit, demon, ghost, god, deity, demigod, any type of spiritual creature, it's all lumped together. It's all just kami, okay? That includes your the ghosts of your ancestors. Um, it's all kami, right? And there's infinite variety of kami. For a good Catholic scholastic person, you should be thinking, um, you know, of Aquinas's point that no angel is alike. They're all utterly unique from each other. Like it's not a, angels isn't a species. Mm. It's it's a infinite number of well, maybe not infinite, but like you get my point. Like it's a just infinite variety it's, of yeah. Each of, one is unique. Like it's utterly unique, not just in like they have a different body, but like they, yeah. it's a yeah. Anyway, moving on. So um, and there she meets her guardian angel, Kami who is Haku, uh, who is a river spirit and a dragon, right? Because in the East, dragons are good spirits, right? Uh, the serpent in the garden gave us knowledge, folks, right? Um, so again, nothing surprising here. This is a pagan story. And so, of course, the dragon's a good guy. Mm. Um, but uh, he says, hey, hold your breath. If they catch you breathing, they're going to know you're a human. And she's not able to do that as she's trying to enter into the bathhouse. Um, and so she has to flee. He says, go all the way to the bottom of the bathhouse. So she has to descend further into the depths of the underworld mm. and demand a job. And as long as they have to give you like you have to you have to demand a job. Don't leave until you get a job. Right. And so the basic idea is that she has to work her way up through the bathhouse towards enlightenment. Right. And so it's a redemptive arc. Her kind of maturation, like karma yeah, karma. Her too. maturation into adulthood is redemptive. It's it's finding her telos. It's finding her purpose in life, and it's going to be through hard work, right? Mm. Um, and it's going to be through um, ingratiating yourself with the spirits and things like that. And well, so that's and, what the rest of this movie ultimately is. Which again, to kind of uh, not to uh, almost like redeem this concept or this idea, but like you said, ingratiate yourself to the, to the elder spirits, to the ancestors. I mean, there is truth to that in like any young person's maturation, oh, right? Every it's like, classical Christian should appreciate the fact that we have saints that, yeah. that we believe in good works. They become we our models. In, we become like repentance is behavior. Repentance mm -hmm. isn't wanting to be better or feel, I mean, it's wanting to be better and all that, but like, it's what you do, you know, mm -hmm. Like that, yeah, it's that action count. speaking louder than words. And exactly, to go back yeah. to our Rene Girard episode of like our, our desires are modeled after those that we consider to be the models. And so if your models are the ancestors, that would have been considered a very good and pious thing. And in, in like you said, a classical Christian standpoint, our ancestors, quote unquote, are the saints who should model our desires and then our actions will follow. And that's how we yeah. become saints. I mean, that's you and, know, pretty and, straightforward you know, stuff. Developing your relationship with the angels, with the host of heaven, developing your angel, your relationship with the angel of the Lord, who is Christ. The guardian I mean, like, angel. It's like that's the guardian. Yeah. Like this is none of this is offensive to my yeah. Christian sensibilities, right? Uh -huh. I'm just describing the story, but it is. It's like everything I can look at and say as a Christian, I understand how this applies to me. 
but it's just mm. fascinating that it's flavored with this kind of like medieval Japanese paganism, right? Mm. Um, but uh, so they're ripe the, for conversion, uh, man. They're ripe for evangelization. <laughs> I mean, straight up. Like, That's the idea. That's the idea, uh, folks. You know, uh, when she's trying to enter in, she actually comes face to face with a frog. And, mm. and there's a pun. I had to look this up, but there's a pun in cult- Japanese culture where the word for return is the same word for frog, right? They're spelt mm. differently. But um, when you say the when you say the noise for those two words, you're saying the same noise. And so that developed in Japanese culture, this common cultural pun of frogs are these kind of liminal characters sure. where like you either have to if you encounter a frog, you got to turn around or it's like a sign the, of like a karmic like what goes around comes around. Like if you're going to proceed, you're going to get what you asked for. It's going to return. What you give is what you get. It's going to return to you, right? So whenever all the all the kami patrons, like not patrons, but the personnel in this bathhouse, mm. they're all frog-like. They all look like frogs. Um, mm. They have this the weird frog features, and so um, I think that's I that's how I read that is that it's this idea, this kind of karmic reality. Well, um, and you know, you mentioned Dante a little bit ago when they, the family was lost in the woods and how that's the beginning of the divine comedy. And, um, you know, the more common term that people are probably familiar with is karma, where it's this kind of like cosmic justice. You kind of said what goes around comes around where the very, like the very sin itself becomes the punishment. And that actually fits really well with, um, Dante's concept in the divine comedy called the contrapasso. And the contrapasso, as Dante is going through the different levels of hell, he's experiencing the different sins, right? Hell is leveled by the different sins. And the punishment in each um, in each circle of hell, it quote unquote fits the crime, not just in intensity, yeah. but it fits the crime by its nature that it is the, like you said, it's a sort of karma or cosmic justice or a contrapasso in that, you know, just as a really quick example, the uh, the schismatics, the ones who divide groups, especially divide Christian groups, what is their punishment is that they are cut by a demon holding a huge sword. Or the sins who struggle with, who gave themselves over to lust, it's like they've their soul has been turned around over and over because it's it's untethered to this desire. Yep. And so, what's their punishment? They're in this huge st- tornado or storm. Tornado. And so, like the it's basically kind of what you were describing where. You know, again, the more um, common term people might use today is karma, but go back to Dante's Divine Comedy. It's it's the contrapasso just repackaged in this other sort of, um, you know, this other image. Well, even even, you know, Christianity absolutely just has this basic idea that you get what you ask for, Mm -hmm. that like it's all grace, frankly, like Mm -hmm. a lot of this uh, you can't like God gives us freely. Um, and the people who want Christ get heaven and the people who don't want Christ get hell, you know, get what but they, they want, want. Yeah. they get what they want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, the uh, other element that's interesting about this bathhouse is a bathhouses are a thing in Japanese culture. B it's a purification symbol, right? Mm-hmm. It's baptism. It's, it's the water, the cleansing of the water. And and that's you know even even basic Shinto ideas of purity because again it's not and you see this in the Old Testament like purity laws in the Mosaic Code this this is something that a you know Japanese Shinto practitioner would understand because mm-hmm. again it's not so much about good and evil it's about clean or unclean um, mm-hmm. it's about uh, what's useful and what's not or what's healthy and what's not right. And so the idea of bathing in Japanese culture and famously Eastern Eastern peoples, like, you know, when the Western peoples like Marco Polo first came over, they're like, you guys stink. <laughs> you guys smell so bad. Don't you bathe ever? Um, because Europeans didn't really have like a culture of bathing. Mm. Uh, yeah. Be embarrassed. Westerners <laughs> be embarrassed. Um, but the Eastern cultures like China and I'm sure Japan as well are like, take a bath, man. Take a bath, you people. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're so anyway, busy, that's we're too busy into... conquering the world to take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too, too, too busy true. exploring and that's conquering true. the world to you know <laughs> who, who's got the time who's got the luxury yeah, who's got the time we've, to bathe when we got all these people they've been going. they've been burdened with glorious purpose Jacob to uh, yeah. <laughs> revert back to fair. Uh, fair. Yeah. that's a fair point 
Um, so anyway, uh, but like, so purity is an important thing in this idea of, it's kind of like a, a feng shui thing of just like being in the right, being right, being correct. You know, it's a Buddhist thing. Um, and so, uh, that, and that means being clean. Um, and so that's what the bathhouse is, but here's the thing, uh, especially in places like, uh, you know, Japan or Eastern cultures, the, interplay between the spiritual world and the physical world is way more of uh they inform each other in the west i think that we're very much like the demon we're either like we are worked upon right and we do have an idea of like petitionary prayer as working upon christ working upon the saints or whatever mm. but it doesn't feel like we are trying to um coerce them and it doesn't feel like an exchange it's not meant to Obviously, mm -hmm. like bad versions of Christianity can like, you know, put you there, but it's meant to be a relationship thing and a petitionary thing. It's not an exchange. It's not a quid pro quo. Right. But well, in Eastern yeah. pagan cultures, it still is everything. And so like there's an economy between the spiritual realm and the physical realm of the humans. There's a, a marketplace there. Um, and so when you see the underworlds, in uh spirited away it's taking on the capitalist consumerist realities it's it's not a one-way street the humans are changing the spiritual world uh in profound ways by becoming greedy and capitalist and consumerist and things like that and so the bathhouse this place of purity this place of uh you know cleansing has become a kind of crass consumer business model. And so everyone that works there is just the about tables. making a buck. Yeah. You need somebody to yeah, flip over exactly. the tables. Yeah, it's, exactly. Need, they don't yeah. they need a crisis. Some to righteous anger. And, yep. Make some whip cords. Um, because that's exactly what you see. It's exactly what's happening mm -hmm. in spirit of the way. It's not meant to be uh, you know, this isn't heaven. You know what I mean? This is the afterlife, or this is the underworld. This is fairy. Mm -hmm. So these are not moral exemplars. The pagan mm. gods are not moral exemplars, right? Mm. Um, and so uh, there's so much to talk about. I'm just going to run out of time on all this. All right. So I'm just going to race to the finish line, I guess, because part, we're just running out of time. looks like you're gearing up for a part three now, it looks like. Yeah, maybe. Uh, oh I, I, I try not to do that. I'll try not to do that to our loyal listeners. <laughs> yeah. um, but... Uh, you know, this place is run by this uh, evil witch named Yubaba, but she's not actually an evil witch. She's just um, a maternal figure that is like the dark side of maternity. She has a mm. sister that basically becomes known as the Granny. And Granny is, uh, at first, when you first meet her, she seems like a bad guy. But it turns out that she's actually like the benevolent half. And then by the end of the movie, it's basically depicted because uh, Chihiro refers to them both by the same name. And they they're identical twins, they're they're one reality. It's just it's a yin and yang. It's like concept. a two sides of the same coin again. Yeah, sort of. Thing. Yeah. So it's just it's just like and again in Taoism, you know, like the idea of the transcendent is more of a motherly figure. So it's like the eternal mother, but mm. it's not good or evil. It just is. And so, um, you know, you have two sides of this one entity, this granny slash mother entity. Yubaba is actually, I, I looked this up, is taken from Japanese folklore. She's like a mother witch figure. So that's like a Streganona from, uh, if you remember Streganona from the uh, Tama de Paula sure. book. And no, that's all right. Oh, I don't mean to derail well, anyway, yeah. yeah um, moving on. Like yeah. an old, she's like but, an old maid though, like an old maid sort of. Well, and so it's funny. One of the things that got me thinking is like, you know, this is, uh, you have two forces of feminine reality reflected in a benevolent grandmother and, mm. and an overbearing and spoiling mother. And then you have Shahiro, who is the maid. She's like the young girl growing up kind of thing. And so you mm. actually kind of have all three, the, the crone, the mother and the maid. Uh, yeah. as like your kind of like main shakers in this movie. Um, Haku, her guardian angel spirit dragon river thing, um, it is uh, being controlled by the evil mother and um, is wounded by the grandmother. Again, because they're not clear good evil parallels here. There's just like mother realities. Um, mm. And uh, so Chihiro takes it upon herself to go and save Haku, who's helped her out so much, and get 
forgiveness from the benevolent grandmother. And in the act of uh, having been working at the bathhouses and like, you know, finding growth and maturity, she ends up saving another water spirit, which gives her a dumpling. Uh, so a common food item, but it's this bitter dumpling that has actually got like spiritual health benefits. And so mm. there's two characters that need it. One becomes Haku because he gets wounded trying to steal stuff for the evil mother. Um, and she gives him, she's, she's going to use this dumpling to try to save her parents. Right. So it's this ultimate like love sacrifice to try to like redeem her parents. Mm-hmm. You know, those crass consumerist pig parents. She yeah. wants to bring them back from the dead. She wants to bring them back to life, uh, to true health within uh, agrarian Japanese pagan society. Um, and so she's going to use this magic dumpling to do it. But as the movie goes on, she ends up taking half of it to save Haku. And then she ultimately uses the other half to save another character we haven't even mentioned yet. And that's No Face. Now, No Face, again, because there's no good and evil here, what No Face is, is basically just like the spirit of desire. And so it kind of is presented as like scary at first. Like you, oh, do he get, is. It's, yeah, it's he's a like he's a of, dark figure. He's hmm. he's in the he's in the like shadow, shadow side self, of shadow this world. Self, yeah. yeah, but like he, um, he's also a pathetic figure though, and like a sympathetic figure at times. But mm-hmm. then at other times, like so again, he's chaos. Like he's chaotic, right? Like he's 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 just a force. But that force, he is the product, he is the creation, he's the spirit of the kind of capitalist, consumerist greed that's taken over Japan, right? So he's like the dark shadow of that embodied in this faceless, I have no tradition, I have no face, I have no identity, I'm, I'm just consumption. You've just I'm become just a hungry. Yeah, nameless, hungry. faceless consumer, yeah. basically. So he's, you're, he's you're a nobody. Hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so the entire it, it explains every action he takes, because sometimes he seems like a sad, pathetic person who's trying to be helpful, like he wants to be friends with uh, Chihiro Sen, but like he's doing it in all this kind of like, I'll give you a bunch of stuff. Hey, if I give you a bunch of gold, you'll be my friend. Right. Like mm. and like he can't possess her because she's really kind of like this a pure child and b she's maturing into a good woman. And so like she's not tainted by his 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 hunger the manipulation right? yeah like his manipulate she she even, cannot be manipulated because she can't be brought into the quid pro quo even attempts at love are still self-service from his standpoint. yeah they're it's, con- it's a yeah. distorted he's a distortion right mm-hmm. to use some good catholic talk there um and so uh, i mean uh, he, well you know like yeah sure because there's nothing wrong with wanting love but like mm-hmm. it can be a distorted passion yeah right? so anyway like uh so he can't he can't basically seduce her with greed or, or what he can offer her and he be, he comes out of control and he starts to eat everybody right so you have more example of like consumption and just eating everybody mm. and things like that well eventually she gives him the second half of that dumpling and it causes him to vomit out all the things that he's consumed but he's still a pathetic sad i'm the spirit of hunger and desire and i'm never going to be satisfied right mm. and so he journeys with her um because her example of love gets her a train ticket to see the grandmother, the granny. And she's like, you want to come with? And he's like, sure, okay. And so, like, he doesn't talk, but, like, um, <laughs> or he does talk, but only with the voice of other people. It's very, mm. dude, there's so much to, like, it's, decipher yeah, in this no, movie. It's a cool, it's it's a cool identity thing. You could do a yeah. whole episode just on his character, but... Yeah. You sure could. Um, but anyway, he travels with her to granny. Uh, she takes the child of the evil mother with, and everyone experiences a redemptive arc when they visit the benevolent grandmother who forgives Haku or uh, what's his name? The dragon guy. Yeah. Haku. Um, and she keeps. So they, again, you learn to live with hunger, right? Mm. And so hunger is removed from like the society of Kami. So he can't do any more damage, but he's not destroyed. And he's kind of embraced as like a sympathetic figure. And he just goes and lives with the benevolent grandmother. It's and they're not full hang out. healing. It's the first step to possibly. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like the not. stuff we talked about back in like the Babadook episode. Mm. You just like you learn to live with the reality of it kind of thing. Mm. But he's going to be safe in the um, the loving embrace of the benevolent grandmother, you know, the crone and stuff like that. Mm. That allows um, uh, Chihiro to go back. We never talked about how her name was stolen by um, I know the naming thing is the big evil too, which again it ties in yeah. with the the no face character too. But yeah, identity. we'll talk a little bit more about this probably in 
the sequel episode of this just to tie a few loose ends up so that we can contrast yeah. them with uh, the boy and the heron. Yeah. But she gets back. She is able to see through deception of the evil mother to get her parents back. Um, Haku is liberated from the evil mother through the sacrificial love of giving him the dumpling um, that uh, um, Shihiro did. And uh, she remembers that he saved her from drowning when he was a river. And uh, the Japanese paved over the river. And so he doesn't have a home anymore. And that's what sent him to the bathhouse to begin with. And so he became the um, slave of uh, the evil mother because his home was paved over with concrete. Um, so there's lots of like, you know, ecology themes going on. And they uh, took paradise and put in a parking lot. Basically. That's exactly what they did. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think we have to wrap up. Right. Because yeah. we have a, yeah. a deadline. So. You know what, folks? There's I could have talked it, a lot more about this episode. We'll talk a little bit more about it. And you it, will. But it's, and we will. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, this was a good start and and yeah, it's a it's a it's a fine uh, part one. Um but uh this will I mean we we definitely talked about some of the major themes that we wanted to and like you said, once we get to um go into Boy and the Heron, we'll be able to kind of see some of those parallels too. I mean, this one, yeah. you know, it required a lot of sort of legwork or foundational work onto a lot just about the, the Studio nature Ghibli of this yeah, and stuff in general, which like is a good, yeah. yeah, it's a good foundation stuff. So, um, but yeah, anyway, thank you guys for coming to listen to this episode of the voyage podcast. And just another reminder, since, um, Jacob, remember we got a book on this, right? With, uh, uh, like, and subscribe, leave a positive rating, positive comment on the show, just that it gets out to, um, you know, more potential listeners, potential viewers. And, um, yeah, we just look forward to the next time we get to make this. So thanks. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Mike. Spirit us away. I got nothing. I'm brain dead after trying to spew yeah. out all of that uh, dialogue, exposition. <laughs> well, then we better just end it now. It's right? like I ate a bitter dumpling, Mike. Thanks for listening to Voyage Podcasts. The Voyage Podcast is a production of Voyage Comics and Publishing, which seeks to create exceptional entertainment informed by Catholic values that inspire people to live a heroic life. Voyage Comics seeks to advance truth and beauty found in powerful stories. To learn more, visit voyagecomics.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 